It's our final episode of season five, folks, and today I'm joined by Craig Cannings from Freelance University. Craig is no stranger to the online space and has been selling courses for freelancers since 2008. It was in 2016, though, that Craig and his wife, Kelly, who runs the business alongside him, became inspired to switch to a membership model, a decision which has transformed their business. In this episode, we're talking all about how that transition went, as well as the challenges of running a closed enrollment model and needing to find a way to stabilise growth between launches. We're also talking about running a business with your partner and the impact that COVID had on the membership, including how they changed to an open model for a while as a result. Plus, we're talking the approach Craig has to bringing on board paid mentors to help his members further and how offering badges and certificates aids their retention and much, much more good stuff besides. So let's get started. Welcome to Behind the Membership with Callie Willows. Real people, real stories, real memberships. Today, I'm joined by Craig Cannings from Freelance University. Welcome to the show, Craig. I am really looking forward to talking with you about your membership today. Hey, Callie. Well, it's nice to be here with you. <laughs> and so can you start us off with some basics then, like what mm-hmm. is Freelance University and who is it for? Yeah. So we started Freelance University, not as a membership, which we can unpack later, but uh uh, as a sort of a school for virtual assistants and freelancers to help them to start and grow their businesses. And so we provide a lot of skill-based training uh, to give them the tools and skills so that they can serve their clients well. And uh, it's been a very interesting time during COVID to be training freelancers because we inherited a whole wave of people that were laid off and suddenly freelancing seems very attractive because their day jobs uh, are no longer as stable as they thought. So so now it's very interesting space as we see sort of this freelance economy sort of boom, even in the midst of our global pandemic. Yeah, I can imagine that's actually been a, a big boost for the membership in terms of, as you say, the amount of people actually needing, not necessarily wanting to, but needing to start freelancing. Yeah, absolutely. And even the whole movement towards remote work. I mean, we've been kind of jet setters in that space, uh, companies like yours and, and ours. I mean, we've been working remotely from for 13 years. And uh, and now the whole world, you know, in the last uh, 18 months, uh, you know, virtually the whole world started to work remotely. And so now this idea of, hey, I could actually work with a team that's not in my inter- in-house office uh, and actually thrive and maybe save money and maybe be profitable. So suddenly a lot of companies that wouldn't consider freelancers are now like, well, this makes a whole heck of a lot of sense. And I think I'm going to stay remote even when all the restrictions are fully gone. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And so you mentioned that Freelance University didn't originally start as a membership. So what was it originally? So it started as one course in 2008. And so uh, I created a course for virtual assistants to teach them internet marketing, all things internet marketing. Because before that, just to back up a bit, I was working for a few years with a, a software startup company. And the owner of the company did not want an office, did not want, he was kind of before his times. He wanted a remote team of freelancers uh, that kind of worked on their own terms. And that was sort of the model he had. And and so I was about the third person in the company. And then we went to about 40 in, in three years. And he kind of gave me the task of training and developing all of these people coming in through the doors. And so I realized I had a bit of a knack for training. And so I was creating manuals and checklists and videos on how to, you know, onboarding them into our systems. I was teaching them marketing. And then my wife and I, who I co-founded with, uh, she co-founded the company with me, 
we had this idea that if, if there's companies like ours that are completely powered by freelancers, maybe there'll be other companies that are hiring freelancers. And so why don't we get into the space of educating virtual assistants and freelancers? And so that led to our first class in 2008, which was uh, an internet marketing course for virtual assistants. And then over the years, just to fast forward quickly, uh, you know, that was 2008, right to 2016. So the next eight years, we went on a course creation frenzy. And so we added one course and it sold pretty well. And then we added two and then we added three and, and it just... And I realized I had a passion and maybe even a growing skill set for designing courses and teaching people online. And so it built up to like 50 or 60 courses that we were selling a la carte. So we were selling individually. It was open all the time. You could buy whatever you wanted. Um, and uh, what we realized around, uh, I think it was, it was at a mastermind group that I was at in 2016, where I was kind of laying out my plans for the next year. And one of the members of the group said, you know, and we are, we know each other. So you could be brutally honest with one another. He said, this, this is a crazy model you've set up for yourself. You're just launching every other, you're launching every month, a new product and a new course. And you're, you're in constant launch mode and you're burning yourself out and you're, you're, you're not getting anywhere in your business. And so that was like, you know, a lot of people that are tuning into this might remember an aha moment where it, it completely transformed the direction of their business. That mastermind group was my aha moment because I then walked away from it, flew back home and wrote up the whole plan blueprint for the membership that we have now that we've been running for five years. And so, so we had to teach our old students, uh, you know, a new way of learning. And that was under, under the umbrella of a membership. And some of them loved it and others because, you know, people are resistant to change. They're like, I just want to buy my courses when I want to buy them. And, and so we had to do a bit of education to get people into this realm of, hey, it's an, it's an uh, access anytime Netflix style university that you now have access to. So, so that was a bit of the evolution that we went through. And so I'd love to know how you handled that transition then. If you had people that had bought kind of individual courses and things, did you go to them and essentially say, we've got this membership now, join? Or did you grandfather them in as existing members? How did that work if people had already purchased some specific courses from you? Yeah, we created this sort of legacy model um, with our active students. So we looked at our active student base, we looked at our repeat buyers, and we had our subscriber base, we were using ConvertKit. And so they were all tagged and we knew who they were. And so we sent them an offer that was discounted um, from what the membership was going to be. So they were still today, we call them our legacy members. And many of them are still with us, actually. And so so we made that we wanted them to be appreciated. We didn't want them to feel like we were duping them or we were double charging them for a course they had purchased because um, <clears throat> we then continued to now add a lot of things to the membership that were well beyond the individual course that they first purchased. And so, so yeah, the legacy members are, I mean, to, to this day, they're our greatest evangelists and uh, some of them have been with us for, for the last five years. So it's pretty awesome. Awesome. <laughs> awesome. And so when it came to launching the membership, did you just put everything into that? Are you offering other products and services as well still now, or is it purely membership now? Yeah, we went all in. I, I think, and I think that was probably the scariest thing because my wife, who's more entrepreneurial than I am, uh, is kind of like a "let's go for it and clean it up after" sort of model. And I'm like, no, let's think a lot about it and procrastinate, and then and then finally get around to doing it. And so, so we decided, as opposed to 
leaving some, I think, as you call them, splinter classes or, or uh, courses that we'd sell individually outside the membership, we decided to put it all in and create this university that was a Netflix-style university that we would have set enrollment periods throughout the year, which is three three times a year, and uh, and we'd go for it. And so there was a lot of fear and trepidation around what was it going to look like when we finally released a membership? Were the students going to love it? Were we going to add more students? Would, would it be a model that pe- would people be interested in paying for education on a monthly basis as opposed to saying, no, I want this course at this price, even though, it, and it's ironic. I mean, over the years, we'd have students say, you know, ones that didn't buy into it say, you know, I just want to buy my courses when I want to buy my courses. And we would say, well, let's do the math. I mean, we have made this incredibly affordable. You get access to every skill that you possibly would want to learn um, at, at the right time, as opposed to you spending a lot more money buying classes. And yet the cool thing was that, you know, the lion's share of people said, this is awesome. And uh, and so it took off. Like it, the first launch was good. And then we kind of scaled and, and the next number of launches just continued to grow and grow. And so we realized we'd hit our stride. But initially... Yeah, when we flipped it, we just didn't know what, we didn't know how people were going to respond to sort of membership-based education. And so, what made you decide to go with a launch model for the membership? Well, a couple of different reasons. I uh, years ago, I used to to work on Jeff Walker's team of the Product Launch Formula for about three years, and I was doing e-learning, designing uh, front-end courses for him and, and other projects. And so, I got immersed into the launch world through through him, and I, I had learned a lot about that. And then I kind of had this idea when we launched the membership that I wanted it to be kind of a throw a modern spin on an sort of a traditional university model so that when people come to university, they don't just show up at, let's say Cambridge or whatever. They don't just show up in October and say, Hey, I want to take a class. There were set sort of like, if there's a fall enrollment period or there's a January enrollment period. And so, so we positioned our marketing that way. Say we're a university. You can join us three times a year and we would have sort of a cohort that would join at that time. We would have new courses rolling out in that semester. And so we so we designed it around a semester model built sort of on an old school, an older traditional university model. And that's, that's I don't know what made me think of that, but that was kind of the, the initial uh, sort of approach. Yeah, and that fits perfectly though with, as you say, just the whole university idea behind it and, and things as well. So yeah, it works well there. I'd love to know though, you mentioned before about obviously the impact of COVID and suddenly there was a lot of freelancers like looking for education and things like that, or people wanting to learn about freelancing. Mm-hmm. Did that change your enrollment plans at all to kind of, did you realize there was all these people looking for this help now and and change your launches or did you just stick to the original plan? Well, I have to be honest. I mean, I've been in the, I've been with the membership Academy for, I don't know, maybe a year or two, two years. Um, and you kind of messed me up a little bit uh, in, in a good way. Cause I, I saw that your open model and I saw some of the cool things you were doing around an open model. And, and I was still very caught in my closed model mindset, even though we're still there um, during COVID, I kind of let that all slide and, and uh, we opened for, so when COVID hit hard in I'm from Canada, uh, but around the world, I think we'd probably say March 2020 was sort of that tipping point where things got got crazy. Uh, April, we opened up um, and we did a, a, a fast track five day coaching program, which was all about uh, teaching people how to get started quickly. And so we were wanting to get people getting their business freelance business up and running fast because we knew that they needed income. And so we just stayed open for from from April 
through to, I think it was October we closed. And then we, we deviated back to our closed launch model which we're happy that it's going well in that regard. But yeah, during COVID, we kind of, and, and that was, and we weren't trying to be like deceptive and, and, and say anything. We, were, we never wanted to use COVID, even though we knew that we were benefiting from it. Uh, we recognized, we would say that, hey, we want this to be open for you. We want you to access it now because I, I kind of think you need it now. And so we did, our messaging was, you know, that sense of urgency. I think you need to do this now before six months down the road, you're still trying to figure out what to do in the context of this pandemic. So, so yeah, we did go open for a period of about, maybe it was about seven months. But I think that that's great though, that you were able to have that flexibility in doing that and kind of essentially moving with the times, knowing that this was a time when people would actually need it now rather than being happy to wait. Whereas, yeah, at the, at the most of the time, it's not going to matter if somebody waits a few months to join. But during that time where actually time was of the essence, you were able to accommodate that, which is great. Yeah, and I think that kind of gets at the heart of why I love memberships is that we've we built like a lot of good relationships with our members. We really care about them. And so when we started to hear their stories, my husband lost his job or my my wife got laid off or my my grandmother got sick. And so they became, and someone actually said, you know, your membership, because people were doing well still in the freelance space, people would go outside of the membership and they'd read the news or they'd listen and it'd be like, the, the sky's falling, like everything is bad. And then they'd come in and be like, hey, I just landed two new clients or, you know, you'd hear these good things. And someone said, you know, your membership was like a light in the storm. And that I said, and that was like the best compliment that we could have during a time that was really negative. And yet a lot of people were benefiting, uh, you know, being in this freelance space. And so, so yeah, so we, we, to open during that time was, it was this, it was a hard time for people as they were trying to figure out this pivot quickly, but it was also a special time. It's like, wow, we could have, like talking to Kelly, so we could have probably the greatest impact in people's lives um, if we just, you know, we if we create courses that they need, if we if we adapt quickly to help them, and that's what we were doing during that eight months. Is we were saying, okay, what markets are the hottest right now during COVID? What 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 are the greatest needs? And so, so we not that we are e-commerce experts, but we brought in a e-commerce trainer, and we were teaching Shopify, and we were teaching WooCommerce. Um, and we were adding these courses quickly because we were recognizing that there was an opportunity for freelancers to, to, to set up stores and to, uh, we, you know, we were doing more digital marketing courses and even, even course creation, like teaching how to set up Kajabi and Teachable and platforms. That became uh, a big thing for all these speakers that were no longer on the speaking circuit. They were no longer doing conferences. And so now they were like, how do I package my knowledge into a course and what tech do I use? And so, so that's what I love about our university, you know, maybe over traditional ones is that we're very agile. And so that we were able to like, say, we could create a course in three weeks um, and get it to market. Whereas a traditional university, there's bureaucracy, there's, there's, you know, hoops you got to go through before you actually release new curriculum or new programming. So, so that's sort of an advantage of what we do. Awesome. And so what are you providing to members on a month by month basis? Yeah. So we have, I think right now we have about 80 courses and it's stay, it has stayed around the 80 to 90 mark because we're constantly either retiring courses that are no longer relevant or we're updating them. And so that's sort of been our sweet spot. Uh, that's built around 
about eight core training tracks. So areas such as graphic design, graphic and web design, social media marketing, uh, online business management, uh, writing and editing. So we're hitting a lot of the main areas that uh, tech support. So teaching tools like Kajabi, ConvertKit, tools that uh, our freelancers will use for their clients. And so we built it around those tracks. And so people get access to everything. They get access to all the programs. And the courses range from larger certifications, which might be eight to 10 hours, down to live workshops that we repurpose, similar to what you guys do, where we might run a 90-minute masterclass, and then it, it repurposes into a, a short course. And so that all of those make up our 80 courses. And then every month, there's live touch points. So people get access to a live, uh, we call them workshops. And so a, a live workshop on a could be a, a, a technology on a, a particular topic for them to grow their skills. Uh, then we also have Facebook Fridays, which is just an opportunity for us to do live Q&A with them. And then we have office hours as well. So there's about three touch points. Um, and then we've been testing out uh, what is similar to your huddles, uh, which we are just calling our, our mini masterminds, which uh, we're about four months into that. And our, I don't know how it's been for you, but our, they seem to really love it. And it's it's, I was concerned about like once we use Zoom breakout, once they went into the rooms, whether I just lose control and people would start, you wouldn't know what people are saying in these groups. And so we actually recruited mentors uh, to moderate the different groups and we're, we pay them during those um, sessions to kind of provide some level of quality control. So we're, we're offering uh, that as well. And then we have like software discounts. We have partnerships with companies like Adobe, Canva and others to offer uh, discount software to our freelancers. Um, so those are a few of the features. Awesome. And so you've mentioned a couple of times that you, you run the membership with your wife, Kelly. Mm-hmm. How's that going for you? How do you have that work for you? Do you have specific roles? Do you both do a bit of everything? Yeah, it's a great... Great question. So yeah, so we have been working together. I think it's this is year thirteen, and 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 obviously, you know, as a as a married couple, you know, or partners, you, you have to be able to d- kind of distinguish between personal and professional. We have five children as well. Oh wow, uh, five, five daughters, and so so yeah, so they. It's interesting, you know. We've always worked from home, and so they, you know, when COVID hit and all the other parents were working from home, they're like, this is just like normal. Like, this is kind of a normal life. I'm used to seeing my parents around the house, you know, working. And so early on, we had to recognize that Kelly, my wife's name is Kelly, uh, that she had her expertise and she had her lanes in the company. And then I had my lanes and she's always been really good at keeping her lanes. And I have not been as good early on about I'd be over into the bookkeeping, (laughs) which I'm not financially inclined. And so that was not really a good, she would work with our accountant and I did not work with our accountant. And so Uh, I think that's the biggest thing is that knowing your roles and knowing your lanes and then respecting that that is the person's lane and not coming over and taking over a role that you have no business in taking on. And so, so for, uh, in terms of how we break down, we have a team of 12 now, but Kelly and I are the principals of the company. Uh, And so Kelly is, she wears multiple hats, but she manages all customer support. So the customer support team is, is her thing. And then all of our team of 12. She is sort of our HR person manages the relationships uh, there. So, you know, pays all of our affiliates, uh, staff, 
you know, all of, so she handles all of that um, sort of community and customer support uh, area um, as well. And then for me, I'm more in the content and marketing side. So uh, I'm in, call, I call myself the chief learning officer, if that's such a term, where I will recruit new instructors when we need them. I will set the tone on what our curriculum is going to be for the next semester. Um, and then I'm also working with our marketing people to sort of grow our membership base. And so that's sort of how we break it down. And and to be honest with you, I love working with her because she's so gifted and I know that her strengths complement mine. And, uh, and it's, it's been great. I mean, for others, it may not work, but for us, it's, uh, uh, we've made it work really well. Yeah, I, I'm a little bit biased, but I do think it's great when you can manage to, to work with your partner and yeah, it can be really, really great. Mm-hmm. Um, so I would love to know then, you mentioned about your team there. Were they people that were on board with the company when you were doing the courses or did they come on board once you started the membership? Yeah, we grew as a company, even revenue wise. Uh, I mean, we did well. I, I guess the biggest thing I'd, I'd, I'd take away in terms of from moving from a, uh, and especially those that might be tuning in that are like, should I have a membership? Should I just sell courses? The biggest thing for us was that we had sort of like, if you were to look at our, on a spreadsheet or on a graph, our revenues uh, during the, when we were selling a la carte courses, even though we sold a lot of them, it was like a mountain range. It was like, literally like, oh, they loved. And I was always trying to figure out what the market wanted and, and what were the needs, but even still you get it wrong. And so you would launch a course this month and they loved it. And we're like high-fiving. We made a lot of money that month. And then the next month I release another course and it's like crickets, nobody liked it. And so it was like, it was constantly this mountain range. And so mountain ranges don't present, like don't provide a lot of stability and confidence as a business owner. So you're like, we were doing well financially, but we didn't know from month to month what it was gonna look like. Then fast forward, 2016, we switched to the membership model, started slow, then it grew. And so now we're at a really good place. We have uh, almost 800 members that are in our community and, uh, and we're at the highest point. We just finished a launch. So we're just at the highest point that we've ever been. And it's, it's grown really well. And now it's like, it's like predictable cash flow. And so now we're at a place where we, I can predict from month to month based on my churn rate, uh, where we're going to be and how we're growing. And I never had that control in the old model. And so now it's like, uh, I guess I feel a lot more peace and stability around. I kind of know where we're going and I know even the things we need to do to grow and so I feel like I've the membership has allowed me to take control of the business as opposed to let my emotions and the business control me because of the mo- or let the model control me because I was all over the place um, as well. You know, I, and I, I think I circled around and probably didn't answer your full question, but <laughs> no, no, I think I think that does answer the question. And yeah, I think that's one of the great things about a membership in particular. It does provide that stability for you to grow a team, for you to kind of predict the future yes. of the business a bit more. Yeah. And that's, and to to get to your first question. So the team really grew as the membership crew. And so early on, yes, it was just me and Kelly. We wore many hats uh, for a long time and then had like a designer. That was the first person. And then we had our bookkeeper. Uh, And so now once we went to the membership model, uh, our real focus was as much as we wanted to have the best freelance courses on the market, we also wanted to have the warmest, most engaging community out there. And so, uh, so one of our biggest expenses now is mentors. And so we call them mentors. Others might call them teaching assistants or community managers. But we have seven mentors and they all have their own specialization. So we have our WordPress mentor. We have our social media mentor. 
all in the big tracks where freelancers want to get support in. And they're in our private Facebook group, um, just constantly responding to that group, engaging them, supporting them. And so, uh, so they're uh, on sort of retainers that we pay on a monthly basis. And then we have a community manager that kind of oversees it all. And that's kind of, and so those eight people, so a lot of, uh, and actually, I guess it's probably more, we're probably more at like 14 or 15 if I add some other contractors, but uh, the bulk of our team is around managing community because we know, as, as you know, if you retain students, um, your, your membership will inevitably stabilize or grow. And if you don't, it will decline. And so, um, so they've been a big part of retention and we often get the statement, well, I came for your courses cause I wanted course A, B and C, but then I enjoyed your community and these people are wonderful. And I've gotten so much support that I've stayed, you know, I've came for the courses, stayed for the community. And, and that's always the greatest compliment that we can have. So that's, so with the membership model, yes, we've grown um, really around mostly around community. And then we have, you know, copywriters and designers and other people that do on help us on the marketing front. So I'd love to know with those mentors that you've brought on board, you mentioned they're on a retainer. Mm-hmm. Without giving away any trade secrets, is that on the basis of is there a certain amount of posts you expect them to respond to each month? Is there a certain amount of time that they are meant to respond to each month? It's one of those things where I think when when people think of the idea of bringing people in like that, it can be hard to see how that would work in terms of what's expected of them, how much time it would take and things like that. So how are you managing that? Yeah, it's not an exact science for sure. Uh, you know, and we, we learned, uh, you know, trial by trial by error as well as we started. But when we first came on, because we have the benefit of working with freelancers, that's our market. We can uh, basically handpick the best people from our, our, our world. And, and they, we have built our team based from, they're all from our, our, uh, student base. And so, uh, the first year, so go back to 2016, we brought six on and we said, listen, you'll get access to the membership for free. Uh, you know, you'll get some one-to-ones with myself. And there was a bit of a benefit package we put together, but we're not going to be able to pay you in that first year. It's just, we'd love you to support our community. We know you are believers of what we do. And so if you stick with us for a year and things go well, we kind of promise you you know, like, you know, I don't promise is the word, but we are committed to paying you moving forward. And so after the first year, we did really well. And all of them went onto the payroll in year two. And now they're four years in this, that was year one. And now we're year five. And so what we did is we decided to do something different in terms of our model. And this isn't a trade secret. I'm quite happy to share it, but, uh, we wanted to have something that would incentivize a community manager or a mentor to want to give their absolute best to our students and not see it as a job, but as a you know as a partner in our success. And so, we give them a dollar value per student that in that enters the Facebook group. And so, let's say let's let's just use I won't go into the specifics, but let's say it's a dollar per student. And so we have eight hundred students; they will get eight hundred dollars a month. Uh, and as we grow to a thousand, they'll get a thousand. And as we go to 1200, and so the whole idea was that yes, their commitments and their responsibilities will inevitably grow as our membership base has grown. Um, and so they will grow with it. And so there's incentive to retain people. There's incentive to go the extra mile, because if we keep them their, uh, their rates and their monthly sort of, uh, fees that they're charging out to us will grow. And the cool thing is, is that it's pretty much grown. I think virtually, I'm trying to think if there was, I don't think it's ever declined. It's either stabilized or grown. And so they've, their income monthly has grown since we've started. And so, so I love that model incentivizes it for them. 
it'll, it, it's more performance-based because inevitably as we grow, our revenues grow and that allows us to pay our team more. And so it's it was harder to kind of, I found this easier than coming up with a number and said, I'm going to pay a community manager 2000 a month. You know, I, you know, I just, I mean, I know I could look around and research and try to figure it out, but they're all on incentive, an incentive-based model like that. Awesome. Yeah. That's a, that's a really interesting approach. I think it's definitely something to think about a little bit different to what a lot of people are doing, particularly when it comes to community managers and things like that. But yeah, can see that working really well. Yeah. Just to add to that is I know there's this idea and I don't know what you think about this, Callie, but you know, there's, there is this idea of hiring volunteers, you know, because you can, yes, you and I both know that there's people that love our products, you know, and that would be our evangelists. And maybe you give the product away for free, and that works, but there's something that there's something different that we found when you said, you know, we want, we want you to be a part of our team and we want to pay you because you're gifted and you have expertise. Uh, we want, we want you to be remunerated for it. And, and I think that as much as I, and I know some listening in will have a volunteer team and and I don't want you to be, take offense to that. I just find when people have uh, that are, they're paid to a certain degree, there's some skin in the game. Yeah. And they're now like, okay. And now they look at us and they're like, we're so excited when we see you onboarding all these new students. It's like, uh, we're excited for you, but we're excited for ourselves. It's like, we're all winning. And so it's created a sort of this win-win dynamic, at least within our team. But that's the way we do it. It doesn't necessarily work for everybody. Yeah, I really like that. And talking about retention there as well, Am I right in thinking that one of the things you actually offer in the membership is kind of certificates and badges that members can use on their websites to kind of show they're kind of trained in particular topics? Is that right? Yeah. And it's amazing how those badges are, how popular they are. I mean, when we came out with them, we thought people like to see an acknowledgement of completing something because there's a boost of confidence. It's like, oh, I've, I've accomplished something. Um, I didn't realize how popular they would be uh, to the point that we just actually finished our first uh, uh, sort of virtual summit. We just did it uh, a couple of weeks ago, went really well. And we actually carried that whole idea of badges over to the summit. And after they completed a live session, if they were with us live, we dropped a link to download their certificate of completion for that summit session. And again, we thought it was like a nice sort of add-on but they loved it. And they'd be like, we'd be getting all this support saying, I missed my summit badge for that session. And so, yeah, uh, the thing for freelancers is they want to be able to, they don't typically, you don't go to university to become a freelancer. You know, you learn by watching YouTube videos or you learn by taking classes from us. And so it's nice to have a place that you can go where you could actually have certifications and someone could say, oh, I just completed a social media manager program and I'm now real comfortable in helping you with your Instagram and Facebook. Uh, and this is sort of the badge that I got and what I learned. And so, so yeah, the badges certifications have been a huge thing. And so if people are thinking about uh, credentialing their courses. And, and, and that's often a question we'll receive because we use the term university. They're like, well, who credentials you? Like, who are you? What board are you under? Well, we're represented in 75 countries right now. And so, so for us to be under the state of California or the province of British Columbia, where our business is in, in, in that's in Canada, everybody, uh, it, it doesn't make sense. Cause that only it's only that board only adheres to the people that live in that province and our student body is well beyond that. And so, um, so we always talk more about results as opposed to, you know, our, it's, it, you know, it's the results are the, are the proof of our education, not so much 
that we're under some governing body. So yeah, I love the certificates. I love that idea of using the the badges for the virtual summit as well. That's a, that's a great idea. I don't think I've seen anybody do that before. Mm-hmm. But yeah, with the virtual summit then, so you mentioned that was the first one you've run. Was that just for members or were you using that as a, an avenue to get people into the membership as well? Yeah, both and and. We definitely open it to the members. Uh, and so it was a, a free live summit. So you could attend it live for free. Uh, and of course we had sort of a, I think it was a $97 access pass. And then we discounted that by 50% to members. So at first we, I mean, we tend to give our members everything we do. I mean, they've got so much value, I think, in the membership, but then we thought, well, we're, there's a lot of work to put a summit together. And we realized it is, I think you've done an in-person conference, uh, or conferences, but uh, but a summit, virtual summit's a lot of work. And so we did discount it 50% to members and a lot of them joined, uh, you know, and a lot of them just attended free the live part. So, so the purpose of the summit, it was the first time we tried a summit on the heels of a launch. And so we ran a three-day summit. We didn't want to run a summit that had too many speakers where people were so tired of us. By the time we said, oh, by the way, our university's open that they would just be unsubscribing. And so we had uh, a three-day summit, 10 speakers, all talking on a skill area that a freelancer could do. So how to, one was on product launches, another one was on community management, another topic as well. So, so all SEO content writing. So topics that they could take and turn into a service um, and make, make money. And then from there, we then, uh, so we ran it for three days, it went really well. I was super happy with how the summit, I think we had a couple thousand that joined us uh, in terms of to our list, which was, uh, it was a great list build. And then the last session, I brought it all together and I opened up the university and I opened up a five day window uh, and it went well. Like we had a a good intake. I think the only thing I would say for those that are looking at a summit to kind of launch their membership is that maybe giving some breathing room. And so what we did is we, we launched right on the last day. I think in future, I'd probably give people a little bit of time, maybe five days or a week uh, for them to kind of settle it, settle after all that learning and then let them know, maybe kind of seed it a little bit that we are opening our university if they want to kind of continue their learning, continue the great community that they enjoyed during the summit. I think that was, it might've been a little too close. Uh, it still did well, but I think we would have done even better. Um, but uh, yeah, I loved the virtual summit experience. It was a lot of work to set up. And I know some tuning in might say, well, that it, it is a lot of work to recruit speakers, get your pages set up, your marketing machine going. But now we've done something that we can replicate. And so now it's like not rinse and repeat. I mean, you're going to have different speakers. You're going to have a different focus. Maybe your copy and everything will change, but it's all there. Like the bones are there for us to do it in 2022, which we've already committed to doing <laughs> or we've added it to our calendar. Awesome. And yeah, presumably you can also use that content from the first summit in various ways over the years as well, whether it's continuing to sell it separately, adding it to the membership, using it as free content, all different things you can do with that existing content as well, which yeah. Absolutely. Most definitely. So changing gears a little bit then, I would love to know what you would say has been your biggest challenge since you launched the membership. Yeah, I would say the biggest challenge like some membership owners will attest to is just the ongoing recruitment of members, you know, and yes, we are in a launch model now, even though we opened up a bit during COVID uh, in the 20, 2020 period. Uh, but yeah, just going through that, I think the challenge that we've been, and we're, and we're doing some good things to fill the gap, which I can share, but um, 
is that we would do really well. Typically our launches do well. We've got good partners. We have a good list. Uh, and so the launch would do well and you'd be, <clears throat> excuse me, you'd be at this highest point of your membership and everyone's feeling good. You know, we're all, we're all really happy. And then as you know, with memberships, uh, it starts to decline. And so when someone will say, how many students do you have? I'm like, well, if you look at the thousands and thousands of students we've trained over the years, there's lots, there's thousands of them, but there's actually only 800 paying people right now. Oh, nope. Tomorrow there's 798 and there's 796. And so then I think that's the greatest sort of like mental game for a membership owner is that they hit the high of if they're doing a closed model and then they start to see the trickle effect. And so that has been as a team, that's our biggest thing that we're working on is how do we stabilize ourselves or even sustain it at the same level uh, in between launches so that the launch is just growth as opposed to trying to get back to where we fell off. And so, so that's probably the greatest challenge and, and we're filling it in a couple different ways right now. And so uh, I think the two biggest strategies that are working the best for us is individual JV campaigns. So we're doing, um, these will be partners that don't join us for a launch. We'll do a specific campaign to web, let's say it's a, usually a webinar to their audience and we'll have a good burst of enrollment uh, during, uh, in between the launches. And we have probably six or seven, I would say fairly big partners that it's a nice spike when we do a, do a campaign with them. And now we're on their calendar at once a year. And so that's like, so we're trying to fill, like we have our launches in three months, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, three launches a year. So that takes up three months. So we're trying to take nine months where we have nine good campaigns that are sustaining us. And then the other thing we did is we added Evergreen, which I was always concerned about because I didn't want to become, uh, we never want to become across sketchy where we're like, you know, it's, it's like, you, you know, you could sign up this way, this day, and then you get the same offer uh, two months down the road instead of this Evergreen. And so we are using Deadline Funnel. And so we give everyone one pass, whether they're opting in on an ebook or joining our wait list, because we have a wait list in between our launches or they're, they've joined a webinar of ours, they will get one pass to join the university in between intakes. And if they choose not to take the pass, um, then uh, we just keep them on the list and they, they join the next launch. And that's been really good, actually. I'm <clears throat> Every day we're trickling in sales in between launches and before it would be like, great launch and then ghost town. And then we just get, I just get to look, I mean, we use pay kickstart as our uh, e-commerce system. I could just watch the graph just go down if I didn't have these things in place. So, so those are what we're trying to do to fill the gap. I don't think we're like, we're, we've arrived yet, but we're way better at keeping stabilizing our membership in between launches. Awesome. And I think that's great. As you said, it's, it's not even about necessarily continuing that growth between launches, but it is recognizing that with that closed model, you're not making up for that churn unless you put things like this in place. So as you, as you said, you start with that high and then it gets lower until the next launch and then you're, you're going up again. So, so yeah, I think as you've said, bringing that stabilizing influence in makes all the difference to mindset, if nothing else. It does. And even it was a few episodes Mike was talking about on, on his podcast about, you know, realizing the potential of your membership. Like what, what is the point where you've hit not the best you can do, but you feel like you've, you've flattened out as terms of where it's going to be. And, and sometimes you think that in that model, you're thinking, okay, I I'm up and then I'm down and then I'm up, but I'm staying around. I mean, we make good revenues. We have a good business, uh, and a good living, but maybe that's all it can be. But now that we started to fill it with these other things, we're realizing, no, the potential is greater. It's just, we were doing 
not, I wouldn't say virtually nothing, but we were kind of resting on the laurels of a launch model and not continuing to do other things in between. And for other people, it might be, oh, you're selling other products. Maybe your front end products are stabilizers for you in between launches. Doing something, because I, I think psychologically, that that would get to me a little bit saying, you know, I felt so good about where we are. And now I feel like I'm climbing that ladder again, back to maybe a little further than where we were, but not, you know, not much further on. Yeah. Yeah. Completely agree with that. And so if that's been the challenge, then what's been your highlight or your favorite thing about having the membership? I think just, and this might seem a little cliche, but I think just transformation of, of these students' lives. And I think just We've always known that we've filled a need for people, you know, because, you know, we work with, we work with a lot of women that want to stay home and raise their family. They want to buy choice, choose to do that. And they want to work and have a business and have flexibility. Or we have people that want to leave corporate. They're tired of the race that they've been in and they're like, they want to run a different race. And so, so I think just the stories of like this, this, this is not just about business for us, right? Like, it's like, these people are changing their lives. Like many of them are like, you know, I was with a boss that didn't appreciate me for 20 years. And now I'm my own boss. And I work with these clients that love me and I'm making more money than I was before. And I do it in my yoga pants or, you know, wherever, you know, now when we hopefully get to travel again, people will actually be able to take their, their laptop elsewhere. But, um, so I think just seeing the life change and, and amazing stories, you know, people that we've had many people that had sick, uh, parents during COVID or even before COVID, and so they were now tasked with the role as an adult to, to take care of their, of their ailing family, but they didn't have to worry about going to a nine to five job. They just had to work their business around like really important life things like taking care of a family member. So it's like, so those stories is like, wow, this business is, yes, we do well, you know, as a, as a, as a business, but it's more like we're making a big impact in people's lives. So that's been the most rewarding. And that's, I think that's what sustains me. I think if we didn't make an impact, we feel like we weren't making an impact anymore. I may want to go try something else. You know, I think that's uh, one of the reasons that probably will sustain us long-term. So you mentioned impact there. So I would love to know what impact having the membership has actually had for you on, on your life and business. Goodness. Um, like I said, it's, it's, it's created, uh, I feel like I'm a more confident entrepreneur. Like I didn't grow up in a home that was um, entrepreneurial. And so I really felt like I, my wife did. And so I felt like I've had to learn to become an entrepreneur. And I think for the most part of my first years, I was a very non-confident entrepreneur. I'd be like, oh, we did well. And then, oh, we suck. And then, oh, we did well. And it was like, sort of, and maybe that's me needing to get on a black couch with a therapist and work through my own issues. Um, by the way, that's my background is actually psychology. I was a professional counselor before I got onto the internet, but um, so I'm not necessarily my own best therapist, but, but I think it's made me a way more confident entrepreneur that I, I now I understand our model and I love our community and, and I know how to nurture our community and take care of them and support them. And, and, and so I think, and, and in terms of just stabilizing our livelihood, you know, we no longer have to live in this uncertainty of where our business is going. It's growing. It's grown since we started in 2016. We've we've grown every launch up until now. And we're not, except for, I should say, except for the people that freaked out in March of 2020 and canceled their membership initially. But then we had our best year ever in our company. And then it just took off for the next eight months after that. Uh, and so I think it stabilized us and, it, and it's helped us to have a great lifestyle. I love working with my wife. Like that is, uh, 
a, just a gift. And so being able to have that and, and again, not to have to be tied to a nine to five, even though we work hard, we work on our own terms. It's been uh, super, super rewarding, even for our kids, you know, to see, I have a couple my girls are very entrepreneurial. Now one has a Shopify site selling clay jewelry. The other one's a wedding photographer. And it's not like we forced them into entrepreneurship. They're now like, they're just kind of running with it. And it's just cool to see them get creative with their businesses. Yeah. I love that. It's kind of inspired them as well. Seeing, seeing what you're creating. That's awesome. Mm -hmm. And so is there anything that you actually would do differently if you were starting again now or that you had wished you'd known earlier? This isn't just a plug for your podcast, but uh, um, I would say I would have started my membership earlier. <laughs> I think uh, I think it's just for, and again, I guess if we have to look at the evolution of Netflix and some of these membership, like this subscription world that we're in, you know, even when we started, Netflix was doing things differently even back then. And, and, and the subscription world was around in 2007, 2008, but not to the degree it is now. And so, so I think, uh, if, if I had the foresight, I would have probably moved towards a, I would have had more self-belief to believe that we could do a membership-based education model, that people would buy education on a monthly basis, as opposed to what we've all been traditionally in Wired, that we go to a university and I spend X number of dollars to buy this class for this semester. That is the model. And that was kind of indoctrinated into my mind. And so, so I, I, I think I wish I started it earlier because it would have stabilized us. I think we would have had, um, I, you know, I, I don't want to have regrets, but I think we'd probably be even further along than where we are uh, right now. So that, that would probably be um, what I would have done differently. And then I, I think what we did early on is we had courses. And then when Facebook groups came around, it was like, oh, I'll have a Facebook group for this course and this course. And it was ridiculous, Callie. I mean, we had like so many Facebook groups that were not managed well, that were course specific. And I'm like, this is a gong show. This is not a way to, this is not a way to support students is by having all these, these random communities. And so I, that's the other thing is I wish I'd consolidated into one community, bring the community manager under the one umbrella and do that earlier. Cause, um, it just, I think it would have fostered uh, a better community than what we had initially on. So those are a couple of things I wish I probably started earlier. Awesome. And so what one tip would you give to somebody that is thinking of starting a membership site? Yeah, I, I would. Um, <clears throat> yeah, I, I think the biggest tip for that, I, that I would give, and if you're, you know, you're considering the membership, first of all, I'd do it because it's like, it's the best business decision that I've ever done. Um, of all the mess, mishaps and things that I've done, it's it's the best thing. In 2016, that airplane ride home, and I mapped out the whole membership model on that in that notebook of mine. It changed our trajectory of our business, and so I, I would definitely do it. Um, but I would really pay attention to. It's easy to get in a vacuum as a membership owner, membership site owner, and think you know what your members want, um, and uh, and not in an arrogant sort of way, but you just kind of think, oh, well, I know the types of things that, that I should be giving them or the features, but we've been really good at surveying our audience. And so we're always trying to do that market research and say, what does the market need? During COVID-19, we did a good job of that. And so we recognize we need to create course A, B, and C because that's what the market needs. And so, so I would not create a membership because other people are doing these features or other people offer this type of content. It has to be dialed into exactly what your audience needs because um, you know there's many flavors of memberships and they all uh, function a bit differently 
because the markets are different and the people we're serving are different. So, so know your people and only give them what they want. Don't give them what you think they want. Then you'll end up disappointed in the end, I would think. Yeah, I think that's such such good advice there, definitely. And so my last question then as we wrap up, I'd love to know what your goals are. Where would you like Freelance University to be in another 12 months time, say? Yeah, I think, you know, we've always tried to position ourselves as the premier uh, education hub for freelancers. And I think, you know, we, you know, as we see, you know, as I read articles in Forbes and Entrepreneur and people talking about the remote work revolution, um, I think, you know, we are already into the conversation there, but we want to, I guess we want to inject ourselves more into that conversation of like, how can we, you know, how can we teach or educate even businesses that hiring freelancers could be the smartest decision you'd ever make. I, I think of our team, our team is spread across. We have uh, one in the UK, we've got one in Australia, we have multiple in the US and Canada. And we've been able to handpick a team that is super talented and super committed. And they they check all the boxes that we want and we're better because of the team. And so getting people to realize that you don't have to get into this mindset that I got to go back in house after COVID. Um, you could handpick the most creative, talented, bright people that work on their own terms and in their own time zones. Um, but uh, you, can, you can build something great. So I think for us, we just want to be a part of kind of leading on the education side of, of um, the freelance, growing freelance economy. And so I think it has untapped potential. I'm not sure where it's going to end up. So That sounds great. And so if somebody wants to check out your site or connect with you, where's the best place for them to do that? Yeah, you can just go to freelance you. So freelance, the, the letter you.com. And we've got lots of free training. You could check out our blog and our podcast if you just want to just start by getting some freelancer education. And then we do open our university in uh, January, May and September of every year. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for talking with me today, Craig. It's been awesome hearing more about your journey and how things are going for you. And yeah, I'm really looking forward to seeing what the future holds for Freelance University. Thanks, Callie. My pleasure for being here today. That's it, folks. Our final episode of the season is done and dusted. And I want to thank Craig for joining me today and sharing his insights and membership journey. And a big thank you to you for listening as well. I hope you've enjoyed this episode as well as this entire season. If you'd like to connect with Craig, download the transcripts or view the show notes for this episode, then head to themembershipguys.com slash btm54. And I'd love to hear what your favorite tips and insights from season five have been. So tweet me at the membership guys or let me know in our free Facebook group at Talk Membership. That's it from me for another season though. Stay well, stay happy and stay tuned for season six. If you enjoyed this week's episode, we invite you to check out membershipacademy.com. The Membership Academy is the essential resource for anyone at any stage of starting, growing and running a membership website. Whether you're still trying to figure out what your idea is going to be or whether your website is already up and running and you're just looking for ways to grow it and attract new members, then the Membership Academy can help you to get to the next level. With our extensive course library, monthly training, exclusive member-only discount perks and tools, and a supportive, active community to help you along the way with feedback, encouragement, and advice, the Membership Academy is the perfect place to be for anyone looking to start, manage, and grow a successful membership website. Check it out at membershipacademy.com.